Welcome to That Other Gaming Podcast, where we take a look behind the scenes of virtual reality, online gaming, streaming, and more. I'm Lisa, a tech comms manager at Meta and recovering academic. For this episode, I'm going to be flying solo without my usual player too. David's out on parental leave taking care of his newborn, so congratulations to him. We can't wait to have you back and we hope you're enjoying this time off with your family. We're gonna jump right into our interview with guest designer Doug Burton and artist Cooley Callahan of Polyar, the makers of the acclaimed game Moss. If you happen to catch the MetaQuest Gaming Showcase, you got to see a nice cameo from Quill, confirming that the highly anticipated sequel, Moss Book 2, is coming to Quest 2 this summer. I sat down with Doug and Cooley to chat about Moss Book 2, what their experience was like creating the first Moss, and what advice they have for those who want to break into game development. Let's take a listen. Thank you both so much for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. To kick us off, if we could just do rapid fire intros. So give us your name, your title at Polyarch, and what game you're currently playing. Doug Burton, um, designer here on Moss. Um, I just finished up playing Sifu. Oh, nice. And I'm Cooley Callahan. I'm an artist at Polyarch working on Moss Book 2. And I'm currently playing Civ 6 on my Switch. Awesome. And how did you both get your start in the games industry? Um, I think, I guess I can say I got started back in high school, really. I started working on uh, like text based MUDs, like a mm-hmm. multi domain, so kind of like old school text MMO. Uh, and I actually started doing that because I, I saw some movie where Whoopi Goldberg told someone, find out what you love to do and then find out how to get paid doing it. Right. And I was like, cool. I like games. I like making them, putting them together with friends. So let's figure out how to turn this into something I can actually do for work. I got started um, in architecture school. I um, met an alumni who worked at Bungie. And um, at the time, I was playing a lot of Halo 3, and so I knew I had to meet him. And he came to our school to give a presentation, and I just wanted to see how he got into the industry. And so I kind of built that network connection with him. And then when I graduated, I taught myself how to use 3ds Max and um, how to make textures, and finally ended up applying for a junior position at Bungie and got the job. Awesome. Polyarch recently announced that Moss Book 2 is coming to Quest, which is super exciting. But let's rewind the clock a bit first. For those who may be unfamiliar, what's the CliffsNotes version of the original Moss? Moss starts in this magic library. And the, the premise of the game is that you're a reader in this magic library, and the Book of Moss is in front of you. And you start reading the book, and you discover this story of a young mouse named Quill. Quill is out adventuring one day and comes across a magic relic from the world of Moss that allows her to see you and interact with you. Mm -hmm. And from there, she shows her uncle that she found this magic glass, and her uncle uh, realizes that it's a powerful relic that um, can be used for either good or for evil. And so he sets out to find someone to tell them that the Quill has found the glass. And um, pretty quickly, 
you meet a, a star thing, which is like a fairy who um, helps you find your uncle. And so you go on this quest to uh, to find him. I'm trying not to spoil anything, but... Um, right. <laughs> so at the conclusion of that game is actually exactly where Moss Book 2 picks up. Yeah, so Book 2 picks up right at the end of uh, Book 1. Uh, you've saved your uncle, uh, and now you get to find out kind of what he rushed off in such a hurry to do in the castle and mm-hmm. what caused him to get captured. Um, and then from that, you learn a little bit more about what this glass relic does and where it came from, uh, what kind of powers it has. From there, the story just grows, and you learn more about who else is looking for this glass relics and, and who's trying to hunt down Quill now that she's like in possession of one of them. Mm-hmm. And so book two just goes more in depth with all that. And were Redwall or Mouse Guard sources of inspiration at all? Absolutely. I read the Redwall books growing up. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the other uh, members of the Polyarch team read Redwall. The desire to create this fantastic universe that, you know, is small mm-hmm. in scale in a broader human scale world. I think a lot of us had, you know, fond memories and nostalgia of that. And also owning pets and having rodents as pets and uh-huh. just how how much, you know, we love our pets and, and love small animals it also plays into that as well. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned scale with Moss. It's one of the things that sets it apart from most other VR games where you really lean into both the like mouse scale and then the human scale and the fact that you have to change your position to be able to access different items or clues in the world that you wouldn't see otherwise. It's really fantastic. Absolutely, yeah. We, we definitely try to encourage players to move their head, you know, mm-hmm. to solve a puzzle. You might sort of need to like kind of look to see a path. And then if you, you know, are looking at that path, there might be a collectible or something that you can just make out, you know, as it's spinning in the background. And the world does like open up to you as you're looking around the diorama and solving puzzles with Quill. Yeah, I want to add, that was definitely one of the fun things you always try to put into like each little space. It was always giving something interesting to kind of peek around and find some little mm-hmm. surprise. And so the, the puzzles and the rooms open up as you find these little nooks and crannies and you're like oh can i go back there oh i can but what does this lead yeah. to and every time a player does that like looks on the corner and notices a little piece of ground they can get to and start asking questions like how can i get over there and I'm like oh if i go that way way around uh and so that's always a fun thing to do just watch people work out the rooms and kind of map them in their minds and that sort of thing so what motivated the decision to have quill communicate with the player using american sign language that came about pretty early on uh on moss one team was looking at the game uh, and we already knew we wanted Quill to communicate with the player, have that those bonding moments, but we knew we didn't want Quill to just straight up speak English. Mm-hmm. She still wanted to like be, be a mouse, and but we wanted ways that she could communicate some slightly more complex ideas. Our animator, uh, Rick, decided to try uh, using ASL to see kind of how that would feel. And it worked out great. Like I said, as soon as the team saw it, it was like that, that works really great. Um, and so it just gives her a lot more room to express some ideas and that sort of thing. Yeah, super cool idea. And Moss, it's a game that's generally beloved by core and casual gamers alike. Why do you think that is? And what's the secret to its broad-based appeal? Yeah, I think uh, just the fantastic setting of it is is inviting and fun. It's it's a beautiful world. It's It's whimsical, but at the same time, it also has some some themes that, you know, kind of lead you to question what's happening here as you play through the first game and you start to see 
human scale armor mm-hmm. and you know human swords that look like you know it's a part of a battlefield you start to uncover you know some of the mysteries of the world but i think the thing that stands out most to people is the the, the bond that they have with quill people are immediately drawn to her the first thought in everybody's head is like oh my gosh she's so cute <laughs> right and and they just want to you know be around her and see what she's going to do next and pretty quickly you develop a friendship with her and and you find out that you know when she finds this glass relic, um, she kind of needs mm-hmm. you as well to to help her find her uncle. Um, one of the things about VR that we noticed early on was how quickly people can get motion sickness, and so we wanted to make the game as accessible as possible. When Polyarch started making the first Moss, you know the VR market was much smaller, mm-hmm. and so it was a clever design decision, I think, to have the player be stationary and to sort of build the levels around the player, as to you know make sure that you know as many people as possible could play the game, and it's it's a lot of fun to see fan mail come in from, you know, sort of non-conventional gamers, mm-hmm. uh, people who might be a little bit older, who, who might not be gamers. Yeah. They they can quickly get into the game and be moving Quill around and just sort of intuitively kind of grasp how to play. We also try to make combat, you know, accessible as well. It's still, still thrilling and still, you know, kind of create the tension and mm-hmm. fear of danger without being too challenging or difficult or frustrating. So you recently launched Moss Book 2 on PSVR. Congratulations. Thank What's you. the response been like so far? It's been great. This is the first game in a while, the first, I guess, console-ish game that I've recently released in a while. So I hadn't get to see people playing games on Twitch very often or playing my games on Twitch. Mm-hmm. And so that was great. Like the first the first night of release, watching everyone play through it on Twitch and seeing people like respond to the moments uh, the way we were really hoping they would, you know, seeing like people's surprise and their awe and their joy uh, at some of the moments that we were really hoping would, would uh, really land really well. Seeing people work through the puzzles, get the new weapons, and they're kind of like, oh, wow, I can do this now. And then their mind starts running about all the new areas they can go and the things they miss. Like, oh, now I can get back, get back to that thing that I saw earlier. Uh, and so that's just super exciting to see players really just get lost in the world and enjoy it just all the ways we were really hoping they would. Yeah, I think one of the favorite things that I've seen uh, on Twitter was somebody saying that playing Moss Book 2 was like being in Disney World. Oh, nice. And they, when they took the headset off, it was like hard to come back to reality. <laughs> and it's just like one of the best compliments as a game developer you could ever, you could ever have to have people love spending time in your world and, and wanting to come back. So at the risk of spoilers, hopefully avoiding spoilers, what's your favorite part of the game? For me, I'm going to say the uh, one of our boss fights, the, the warden boss fight. Yeah, that, that's one that really, again, sails that like sense of scale. Uh, it mixes in chance to like use some of the new weapons. It feels a bit puzzly. So it's a great mix of just like combat, puzzle, that sense of scale and like really being there. Uh, and then, yeah, you and Quill uh, taking down this boss that at the beginning of the fight, you're sort of like, how am I going to overcome this? And then you look at Quill and she looks back at you and she's like, we're going to do this. I don't know yet how we're going to do it, but we're going to do it. And then when the fight kind of wraps up, the feeling of like, oh my God, I can't believe we did it. And like, yeah. Uh, and Quill like sends that back to you and it's just a great, mm-hmm. great moment. I think my favorite moments are all of the moments that would spoil the game. <laughs> um, there's some um, pretty awesome story beats and narrative moments in the game. Mm-hmm. Your relationship with Quill is is kind of challenged in some ways where, you know, the 
the game's a little bit darker than the first game. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still a lot of happy moments. There's still a lot of things to celebrate. There's still a lot of fun to be had, but um, the stakes are higher and there's more danger. And um, just watching people react to the moments where it, things get difficult and seeing how Quill reacts to those moments and the surprises that are in store, I think that's those are my favorite moments for sure. Awesome. So you've both worked in more traditional gaming spaces before making the leap to VR. What do you see as some of the key differences and what are the similarities? The biggest difference is definitely just sort of a, that sense of like presence and mm-hmm. being in the world and how you can really just get lost in it. So a lot of those things are really hard to do uh, in typical 2D gaming. And you kind of like have to rely on like really big bombastic events and some, some larger than life kind of effects and mm-hmm. some really kind of like high energy things to like keep people involved in the moment. Whereas VR, you get a lot of that for free. And so the little small details seeing so much more. So you mm-hmm. can just put someone in a nice forest space and it's just the, the buzzing of a, a dragonfly is just going to really sell the, the moment that, that you're there. Whereas like a usual game, mm-hmm. that would all be overshadowed by, you know, the armor clinging and explosions happening. But here, you know, the little things just really bring the bring the whole experience you know, to life. And so I think I love that most about VR development. Mm-hmm. I think from an art perspective, yeah, I, I would totally agree with with what Doug said. It's like being able to immerse players in in an environment is a lot easier in, in mm-hmm. certain ways. Building a scene and populating it with assets, you can really quickly create a mood and a vibe in a way that is yeah more powerful than two D media. One of the challenges is directing player attention. Right when you don't have UI and you like, I mean, some games do have UI and that is certainly helpful, but the team has done a lot of work to try to represent things physically in the world. Mm-hmm. Pretty early on, the Moss team learned that audio, movement, we do these things where, you know, we, we track where the headset's looking. And so, you know, we want to give players space to look around the environment and not miss something and not mm-hmm. also not feel rushed. And so it's kind of, it's fun to watch because you can, like from the player's point of view, everything's unfolding naturally. But from from our point of view, it's like, yeah, everything is has is very structured to to play out in a certain way to have it feel, you know, like oh, like just as I looked over there, you know, Quill pops out and right. you know, and and then the sun shines in her face, and those moments are 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 fun. But it was a challenge to to try to direct the player's attention and make sure that they don't miss stuff. Definitely. Um, so would you have any advice to offer for an aspiring artist or designer looking to break into the games industry? I tell everyone I know who's interested in games, you don't have to have that first job to start doing it, right? You mm-hmm. know, definitely just start your own projects. I mean, even when I am working on games, I still usually have a little side thing I'm working on just to get other ideas out of my brain. So any of those times you have those cool ideas, you're like, oh, it'd be so cool if a game did this. Like, be that game, you know, yeah. go, go make that happen. I love the story. What was a game, a game that recently kind of blew up? Uh, it's like Vampire Hunter, I think it was called. Um, and it's like a kind of simplistic 2D, I don't know, not an auto battler, but it's sort of like auto attacks for you. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of a roguelike game. And it just like hit that string. People were like, yeah, what this does not, exists widely and i and i'm in the mood for playing that and so you know never know when you can have that idea people are like i want to play that i don't even know it yet because no one's made Mm -hmm. it so definitely if you have an idea get it out there start making it and then you know the audience will find you sometimes 
Mm-hmm. I think now is a great time to try to become a developer. So much software mm-hmm. is free. So many things are are easily accessible. Blender is uh, a great 3D modeling tool that's totally free. That's receiving you know so many updates and is so powerful. Um, you know, Unreal Engine is free to use now. I think you can use Unity. There's some really great YouTube channels mm-hmm. out there that you know, like following a tutorial is it can be a really great way to to start building some skills. It's easy to get discouraged. It's easy to look around and see all of the cool stuff that's being made and just be like, oh, I don't understand any of this. But everybody's been there. I've been there. I'm still there with a lot of other things. Like I specialize in environments and I really don't know mm-hmm. how to make characters. And so there's a lot of char- the character art pipeline that to me is just like magic and I, I don't <laughs> understand it. Another thing that I think is really helpful is to, to mm-hmm. be consistent. An hour a day, I think, is a great place to start. At least I I like doing it that way. I like, you know, daily building a habit is useful and it's tough to to stay positive all the time. You know, there's going to be challenges like growth is hard and it is sometimes painful, but it's possible. It's, It's very possible. And join communities. There's a lot of Discord communities. There's a lot of like Patreons that you can join for pretty cheap that, you know, have a lot of people sharing their work mm-hmm. and sharing their goals. Like game mm-hmm. jams are a great way to get some exposure. And, you know, even if you're just helping out in whatever way you can, like maybe you can sketch some ideas, maybe you can help out with level design. There's a lot of opportunities to sort of get a little bit of experience bit by bit. And I think game development is one of those industries where it's all about your portfolio. Mm-hmm. You don't need to go get a fancy degree. You don't need to pay a bunch of money to to go to school. You can you can build a portfolio just at your spare time and with a laptop and YouTube. I taught myself a ton of stuff just through YouTube. But what I love about tutorials is they give you little small accomplishments. Like maybe you can't do it on your own. Maybe you have to follow step by step and you have to go back and watch it. But like once you create something, adrenaline rush and that feeling that you get when you make something it's addicting and it can snowball and before you know it you've you know made a small little game Mm -hmm. and then you'll get new ideas and you'll want to you know try new things and try another tutorial so resources are out there you gotta you gotta overcome the you know that the voice in your head that that says you can't do it because you can't That's a lot of great advice. Thank you both. So curious where you see the industry heading in the next like five to 10 years. That could be VR specific or it could just be the games industry as a whole. Okay, you can go first, Kulia. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, we're we're seeing with the MetaQuest just how popular VR can be when you remove obstacles. You know, the all-in-one headset, inside-out tracking um, has been a game changer. I only see that becoming more more successful. I, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to have better headsets, we're going to have, you know, better processors, we're going to have better lenses. Um AirLink. What a cool thing to have, right? Mm-hmm. Like I love being able to not have a tether and be able to, you know, be in the middle of my living room uh, away from my computer. So there's a lot of really exciting new technologies for VR that I think are going to continue to grow the the you know consumer base mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds it's like very like markety to say that I think more and more developers are are realizing that it, you know they actually can make money on VR games and so we're going to see more content 
which is exciting. Yeah, I think too, also just seeing the tech get better and better and get smaller and lighter and simpler. Uh, so I think across mm-hmm. VR and consoles, we're going to see more and more of like the tech getting out of the way and just letting the experience, mm-hmm. you, know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, be be as great as it can be. Uh, and so you're going to see controllers getting smaller, headsets getting smaller, uh, haptics getting better and better. Um, so just getting more space for the the players to just really get immersed in the games and really just enjoy them without much setup or much uh, systems in the way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we covered a lot of ground today, which is excellent. Anything we didn't get to touch on? Anything you want to add? Oh, wow. You can say anything. Well, um, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> if- if you haven't tried Moss yet, you should. And if you enjoy fantastic, you know, fairy tale type adventures with, um, you know, fantasy elements, then I think that you should give it a try because you might just fall in love with Quill. Definitely, definitely. <laughs> and yeah, uh, and if you want to check out Moss too, but haven't played Moss one, uh, there's still plenty of time. <laughs> yeah. go, go grab it. It's on plenty, mm-hmm. plenty of platforms. Uh, and if you um, don't. Have time to check out Moss uh, Moss One. We'll give you a great recap of getting a Moss Two, so you're going to be able to catch right up. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right, I think that's a wrap. Thank you so much, both of you guys. Loved having you on the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Lisa. Appreciate it. It was awesome getting to chat with both Doug and Cooley and hearing about their backgrounds, what brought them into game development, and hearing some behind-the-scenes stories from Polyarch and the development of Moss. I mean, it's hard to say that there's a quintessential VR classic, given how early days it is, but it really feels like Moss is one of those titles. So really cool to hear more about it from the folks who were on the ground making it happen. Thanks so much for joining us on that other gaming podcast from Meta. Remember, we'd love to connect with you on our Facebook group, and you can follow along with us on Twitter and Instagram at OtherGamingPod. The show is produced by LWC Studios for Meta. Cedric Wilson is our lead producer and composed our theme music. Kojin Tichiro also contributed music. That Other Gaming Podcast is executive produced by Michael Kirkland and Julie Galantigua, art by BJ Prima. Thanks for listening.